AgriTalk is brought to you by Full Scale from Helena. Grow Strong returns this season with breakthrough foliar nutrition from Full Scale at Reproduction. And by Propane. Propane is the energy for everyone, especially farmers. Environmentally friendly propane can fuel most anything on the farm. See how at propane.com. Beef demand, energy demand, grain demand, demand for land. All will likely see some changes and challenges in the year ahead, and how the demand levels match up with supplies will undoubtedly have an impact on prices. We're digging deep into these markets on this morning's AgriTalk. Live from the Grand Demand Grand Central via Farm Journal broadcast, this is AgriTalk. This morning we begin with a conversation with Phil Flynn from the Price Futures Group. Then it's Ken Erickson from S&P Global and later Paul Shadeg from Farmers National Company. Right after the news, Greg Henderson from Drovers. I'm handsome newsman Davis Michelson, and now the host of AgriTalk, Jeff Laurie. All right. Thank you so much, Davis. Appreciate that. Yeah. Uh, another warm day here in Northeast. Well, let's see. 39. 39. We're already 39, 39 degrees. Wow. That, yeah. that sounds very comfortable. Luxurious, even. Well, perhaps. I, I, I see snow melting. There's drips dripping. Uh, mm-hmm. it, uh, it, it feels like, you know, the start of a January thaw. Love it. I'm, uh, Love it. I'm, I'm dealing with a, uh, 20 degree bull spread here currently. Are you? At the Southern Outpost. Yeah. yeah. See, now this is one where positioning determines whether or not it's a bull or a bear spread. That's exactly right. No doubt right. about it. Yeah. Right. And from my perspective, highly bullish, highly, highly bullish. bullish. I'm bowled <laughs> up down here. Bulled up on Speedos. You betcha. <laughs> do, do, do the people of the greater Kansas City area realize mm-hmm. that that a Speedo lover such as yourself has moved into their vicinity? It, you know, it gets like 105 degrees down here for days on end. Yeah. They're going to find out. They're going to find okay. out all about it. And yeah. Uh, yeah. I'm, I'm embedded now. so I'm sure it'll make the news at some point. I, I can't wait. I can't yeah. wait. Either can I. <laughs> I'll send bail money. I'll represent us well. Don't worry. <laughs> All right, buddy. We've got a lot of ground to cover. Let's go ahead and get to the news. Well, Chip, Hong Kong joined mainland China in rolling back COVID-19 restrictions with that financial hub ending social distancing, obligatory vaccine uh, proof, and almost all testing requirements for visitors effective today. Meanwhile, the U.S. said it will require travelers from China to submit a negative COVID-19 test beginning January 5. Yeah, yeah, and and the reports indicate, and these are reports, and you just never, you never know what to believe what you see coming out of China, but it appears that many of the hospitals, healthcare facilities, pretty well overwhelmed right now with some COVID cases. Well, oil prices extended losses for a third session and tanked on Thursday amid concerns that the end of China's zero-COVID policy could lead to a surge in cases across the globe and trigger worldwide restrictions. Crude is heading for the first back-to-back quarterly loss since 2019, but is still up nearly 3% on the year. Looking over at the February contract right now, off a buck 39 on the day, 77.57 currently. Yeah, basically getting back down to the level that uh, the Biden administration has said we'll start to buy and refill the SBR. Yeah. We'll talk to Phil Flynn about that coming up in the next segment. 
Well, Russia this morning launched more than 100 missiles at Ukraine, hitting capital Kiev and other cities as Vladimir Putin's government rejected a peace proposal from Ukraine. Mm. Moscow wants Ukraine to recognize the regions of the country Russia has annexed, but that's reportedly a non-starter for Ukraine. <laughs> yeah? Yeah, okay. you know, I, I, of course but, it's a non-starter. I mean, that, right. that's uh, that's admitting victory to Russia. Right, right. Well, that's yeah. that's kind of, you know, why there's a part of the reason why there's a war right now. Moscow says yeah. that's ours. Ukraine says, no, it's not. No, it's not. Yeah. Well, the World Gold Council reports central bank gold purchases at the highest rate since 1967, with Russia and China likely the leaders. Officially, Turkey led buying with 29 metric tons in the third quarter, though many central banks, including China and Russia, do not always report gold holdings. This is going to be a topic of conversation in tomorrow's free-for-all because it's one of the many things that are being reported today that point to deglobalization of the global economy. It's indeed it, it, it's crazy what's going on. Well, USDA Secretary Tom Vilsack says it's premature to ask if billions in the Inflation Reduction Act conservation funds can be transferred to the upcoming farm bill, even as the need will likely exist. The decision will be up to Congress, but Vilsack and the administration will have a say in the matter. Vilsack had this to say. At this point in time, we don't know what the specific baseline is going to be from CBO. We don't know what demands there may very well be on the existing Farm Bill programs and any modifications or changes. We don't know what savings could potentially be occurred from programs that are currently within the Farm Bill baseline that could be because of lack of demand or because of changes or whatever might actually create a set of savings. Well, Chip, the Department of Labor officially certified approximately 317,000 temporary jobs in fiscal 21 under the H-2A program. That's more than six times the number of jobs certified in 2005. Six states accounted for about half of those H-2A jobs that were filled, including Florida, Georgia, Washington, California, North Carolina, and Louisiana. Nationally, the average H-2A contract offered 24 weeks of employment and 39.3 hours per week. At 13 bucks per hour. Mm-hmm. Contracts to buy previously owned homes in the U.S. declined by 4% in November. That's a sixth consecutive monthly decline that pushed the pending home sales index to the lowest level since 2001, excluding the drop in the early months of the pandemic. And finally, Vietnam posted a growth rate of more than 8% for 2022, wow. easily surpassing even its own official target. Uh, the figure is astonishing considering reduced global demand for Vietnam's exports and owes much to supply chains migration from China. Chip. All right. Thank you very much, Davis. Let's uh, bring in Greg Henderson, editorial director at Drovers. Good morning, Greg. Good morning, Chip. Happy New Year. Happy New Year to you as well, my friend. So beef production is expected to be down in the new year, but I don't see demand getting any smaller. It's going to be a challenge that's going to require some management next year. Well, absolutely. And one of those things, as you know, that driven by the drought and COVID and the U.S. dollars uh, rise is we're going to see an increase in beef imports in 2023. Uh, Chip, as as we talked before, those beef imports uh, have an impact on the U.S. cattle market because we export a higher value product. And then we bring in grinding meat for our hamburger markets. That allows us to, you know, stop grinding some of the more value cuts at home. But basically, we need to understand that China is having a major impact on those imports because China's uh, 
no COVID policy and their threat of recession. So they may not import as much beef as they have been in the past. They get most of it from Brazil. They get about 3% of the U.S. beef product. But uh, if if they decline a little bit, that could mean a little more beef coming to other countries, including the U.S. Again, uh, imports driven by, um, you know, that strong dollar, which encourages imports, discourages our exports a little bit. So it could be a challenging year for beef importers and exporters here in the U.S. Yeah. Yeah. There's going to be a fine line on that balance uh, between domestically produced grind and imported grind in 2023. And just keeping track of that and managing that is going to be uh, uh, really critical in the year ahead, especially if if the cow calling slows down, Greg. Absolutely. That will uh, drive an increasing need for grinding meat trim. Yep. Yep. That's right. That's right. All right, buddy. Happy New Year again. We appreciate you. Thank you so much for what you do for us, man. Thank you, Chip. All right. Learn more about that at www.drovers.com. Coming up next, we are talking energies with Phil Flynn from the Price Futures Group right here on AgriTalk. To produce higher yields and greater value at harvest, timing is everything. Full Scale from Helena helps soybeans reach their full potential with breakthrough foliar nutrition and reproduction. Full Scale delivers beneficial plant extracts and micronutrients with the added efficiency of ENC formulation technology. It gives your soybeans every opportunity to grow strong returns this season. Contact your local ag retailer or Helena representative to learn more about Full Scale. Always read and follow label instructions and check registration status before use. From powering irrigation engines to warming buildings, propane has always been a part of American farm life. Now, you can be a part of propane's future and save money at the same time. The Propane Farm Incentive Program is a research initiative that provides farmers up to $5,000 towards the purchase of new propane-powered equipment. In exchange, participants share performance data to make tomorrow's ag operations more cost-effective, more efficient, and more environmentally friendly with propane. Getting started is simple. Visit propane.com slash farm incentive to see if you're eligible. We've cleared the schedule for you. Give us a call at 855-482-5524 and join the conversation. Now, I haven't hunted in a while. Um, yeah. But uh, I would, typically I was uh, an Uncle Henry man. Had yeah. a little skinner, you know, and then yeah. the... Uh, the buck knife too for camping. I've I've had nice really choices. good luck with with the SOG. Actually, by the way, the the uh, the little seal pup. It's just oh. enough. You know, you carry it on your belt. It stays yeah. good and sharp. You know, you know what right. I found? What's that? Do you know what I found? I found a hmm. stash of market rally survival knives. <laughs> <laughs> now I had yeah. I had offered those out to the uh, yeah. to. To the listeners for uh, for sticking with us that week that yeah. you were gone. You know, if you yeah. made it all the way this far, <laughs> UOGs know if I had a Marcarelli survival knife, I'd send it to you. Yep. Well, we might have to we might have to give a couple of those away. All right, Great. let's bring in Phil Flynn, senior energy analyst at the Price Futures Group. Phil, welcome back. Happy New Year! Woo-hoo! Yeah, man. Woo-hoo! Happy New Year to you. Yay. You know, I'm going to say it right up front so that I don't run out of time. But thank you so much for 
helping Davis and I understand what's going on in the energy markets to help here, here. for helping the AgriTalk listeners Aww. gain an understanding. We really appreciate that, and I'm sure we're going to be leaning on you in the in the year ahead as well. So thank you. Oh, uh, shucks. Thank you, guys. I really appreciate <laughs> it. You know, I just try to keep the lights on, and uh, thanks yeah. so much for having me out. I love it. I know you guys do a great job for, for Ag America, and I'm, I'm proud to be part of it. Good. Good. Love to hear that. Yeah. Okay. So it, it, there's several global issues that I want to get to, Phil. But first, mm-hmm. how do you grade the U.S. energy system, and include the electrical grid in this, in dealing with the cold snap? F minus. Ooh. And, and, yeah, well, and this is why. Because almost everything that happened when it came to the power outages, uh, it, in a large part, were avoidable. I mean, there were plenty of warnings that this exact type of an event was going to happen yeah. and nobody did anything about it. In fact, in many of the um, districts of politics, they actually made it worse, you know, by slow mitting the permitting processes, canceling pipelines that, that would have avoided this situation and having this false assumption that renewable fuels can replace fossil fuels uh in a short period of time and that's impossible right right what what about the impact on refiners from during the the winter storm it sounds like um are they going to be able to keep up with near-term demand i think because there's been a slight drop in demand they will but 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 okay. not for the entire year. Uh, and there's no doubt. I mean, listen, you know, a lot of the big refineries are down south. They're not yeah. used to winter down south, right? right? These refiners aren't really prepared for this. So you do get these freezing of pipelines. It actually is going to impact supply. Some of these refiners are not going to get up uh, and running until next week. So what you're going to see in next week's inventory is probably some substantial drops, not only in gasoline and diesel supplies, but in crude supplies as well. So because of that, you're going to see a short-term blip. The market might look beyond it because those refiners should come back online. Um, and sh- so hopefully it will show a little impact at the gas pump. Okay. Okay. Um, man, F minus. We <laughs> What What do we know? How do you fix that? I, I, mean, I, mean, I'm, I'm, I would, Yeah. I, I have no, I mean, it's trillions and trillions <clears throat> of dollars to fix it, isn't it? It is. You know, listen, you know, I mean, it it takes good political will to fix it. It it takes reality. And maybe I'm a tough grader. Right. But it's kind of like when your teacher says, "Okay, listen, you you, you know, you're you're working on a a, a pass or a fail grade here. All you have Mm -hmm. to do is one report, you know, to get a passing grade uh, and, and use some common sense. Uh, but they failed to do so, right? You know, and that's right. why you failed, right? Right. You got a right. report from the uh, uh, the the electricity council, two reports that were saying, "Listen, we got to make some changes now, or people could face blackouts." And it, yeah. this report didn't come out yesterday. I mean, this came out 12 months ago, and yeah. and so for these yep. utilities and governments not to take steps to prevent this and put people's lives at risk, I think they deserve a failing grade. Yeah, yeah. Uh, The failure to prepare puts the minus on the F grade. I get it. I get it. Okay. Um, Let's go to Russia. Russia President Putin says Russia won't ship oil or oil products to countries that are imposing the price cap on Russian crude. How much of an impact is that going to have on the market? 
I think it could have a huge impact. You know, the problem is, is that we don't know if it had ever been, been implemented because the price of Russian crude is below the price cap. Yeah. So until, yeah. So, I mean, right now, the threat seems very empty to the market yeah. because Russia is going to be able to sell as much crude as they want, you know, yep. uh, until the prices go up. But I do think there will be a showdown at some point. I do think supplies are going to tighten, especially if the Chinese economy continues to open. I think we're going to be undersupplied. So I think we're going to challenge that price cap um, next year. And the big question is, um, don't doubt Vladimir Putin. I I think if they try to cap the price, uh, they're not going to get the oil. Well, I was just going to ask, is he going to enforce that if – a country is prepared, don't have to enact a price cap, but is prepared to enact that price cap. If if Putin refuses to sell that country crude, I mean, that gets you right to 60 bucks, doesn't it? For the Russian oil, which is at, what, 55 right now, something like that? It is, right. Okay. Um, yeah, you're absolutely right. I mean, listen, the thing is, is that any government that, you know, fooled themselves in the thinking that, Vladimir Putin wouldn't do something that he said he would do, you know, has to be, you know, mistaken, right? I mean, a lot of people didn't think he'd invade Ukraine. Oh, he won't do that. Well, guess what? He did it, right? And, you know, Europe, of course, has been trusting that Vladimir Putin put in their energy future in his hands, saying, oh, he'd never cut off supplies. It would ruin his economy. Well, guess what? He has, right? And he's using energy as a weapon against Europe and against the rest of the world. And to think that he won't follow through on his threat to cut off supplies to these other countries if they try to cap the price, um, I think they're going to find themselves without oil or gas. Yeah. Okay. You're right. Um, (laughs) It's not hard to tell what he's going to do because he tells you what he's going to do before he does it. And, And you're right. You're right. Wouldn't doubt it. Okay, China, you mentioned it a little bit there with the the COVID restrictions. Um, Health facilities, hospitals appear to be kind of overwhelmed with COVID uh, patients right now, but the plan still appears to at least to attempt to restart the Chinese economy. What does that mean for us? I think that it means that we're going to head into the new year undersupplied with oil. I really do. Now, it's kind of interesting, you know, for months we've been hearing you know, from energy traders. Well, the only missing component in the global oil market supply and demand picture is China and China shut down. You know, now there's signs that China is going to open and now they're saying, oh, the biggest risk to oil demand is that China is going to reopen. <laughs> it's like, you can't yeah. win, right? Yeah, now they're right. Saying, now COVID's going to shut and, you know, people are going to shut down their economies again. Don't believe it, right? This is going right. to be a significant impact on increasing demand next year. I think global spare oil production capacity is going to be squeezed to an all-time low, and there's going to be no room for error in the system. So, um, you know, we keep hearing about a slowdown because of a recession, and all of that stuff uh, does have an impact, but I don't mm-hmm. think the demand destruction from the recession um, is going to be noticed once China reopens, because I think it's going to be a push. Okay. All right. You know, I'm not even sure that this can happen because uh, Chinese citizens would probably lose their minds. But could Xi Jinping put the shutdown back in place? 
No, I don't think you can put that genie back okay. in the bottle, right? I think you'd have a revolution over there. Right. Could there be some some temporary restrictions? But I mean, why would you go through all the pain and rip off the Band-Aid and allow these COVID yeah. cases to spread if you're going to try to put the Band-Aid back on? It wouldn't make any sense. Right. I got you. I got you. Okay. Let's get a prediction from fearless Phil Flynn for 2023. What do you see? Woo-hoo! Get your $100 a barrel of oil ready for next year. I think we'll see $100 a barrel. Yes, sir. And, uh, you know, just in case you have one of those uh, um, uh, uh, numbers that needs an extra zero, you might want to keep that handy. Um, Listen, I mean, I think that we are under um, invested in oil. I think demand's going to exceed expectations, and that should keep us with an upward bias. And I also like the energy stocks. I think if you look at the energy stocks, you know, based on um, where they're related to other stocks, I still think they're a strong value. And I think they're going to do as well as they did last year, next year, if not better. Yeah. Yeah. If you're in a position, I, I, I mean, it, it's not going to be a complete hedge for you, but. If you don't like the profits that big oil are making in the in the current environment, buy them, own them. Uh, the the energy stocks seem to be a, I won't call it a safe play, but a but a an opportunistic play for twenty twenty three. I would say that's right. Good stuff, man. Thank you, sir. Yeah. Yep. All right, Phil. Again, we appreciate all you do for Thank us, you. man. We're gonna. We're going to talk more to you in the year ahead. That is for sure. If you'll let us, if you'll let us, we appreciate it. Amen. I sure will. I'm looking forward to it. We're going to have our best year ever. Let's go for it. All right, buddy. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. That is Phil Flynn. He is the Senior Energy Analyst at Price Futures Group. Coming up next, let's talk with Ken Erickson from S&P Global Commodity Insights. From powering irrigation engines to warming buildings, propane has always been a part of American farm life. Now, you can be a part of propane's future and save money at the same time. The Propane Farm Incentive Program is a research initiative that provides farmers up to $5,000 towards the purchase of new propane-powered equipment. In exchange, participants share performance data to make tomorrow's ag operations more cost-effective, more efficient, and more environmentally friendly with propane. Getting started is simple. Visit propane.com slash farm incentive to see if you're eligible. To produce higher yields and greater value at harvest, timing is everything. Full Scale from Helena helps soybeans reach their full potential with breakthrough foliar nutrition and reproduction. Full Scale delivers beneficial plant extracts and micronutrients with the added efficiency of ENC formulation technology. It gives your soybeans every opportunity to grow strong returns this season. Contact your local ag retailer or Helena representative to learn more about Full Scale. Always read and follow label instructions and check registration status before use. Time for Markets Now with the experts from ProFarmer. In editor Brian Grady's absence, we've got Chip Flory. Uh, buddy, slightly lower in the beans, moderately lower in the corn, but we got to talk about these double-digit yeah. losses across the wheat complex. Right, exactly. You know, we talked about it yesterday afternoon a little bit on the show, how the market is starting to string together low-range open, high-range close versus mm-hmm. High range open, low range close. Well, yesterday was the low range open, high range close today. We opened very close to the session highs and, and we're trading near session lows right now. But Davis, this is end of the month, end of the year wrap up stuff. I don't see, I don't want to put a fundamental reason on it. I think uh, we're going to even up positions going into the end of the year in this wheat market and then 
try to decide what the new trend should be once we get into 2023. That's put some spillover pressure onto the corn market, no doubt about it. It's got us moderately lower, and it's taken some of the buying interest out of the soybean meal and the soybean uh, soybean market as well. But bean oil, boy, there's some spread unwinding going on there. They are getting out of the short oil long meal spreads that were put on earlier this week. The cattle complex looks pretty solid with uh, lean yeah. hogs. The deferreds look good. Yeah, absolutely. Deferreds do look good. A little bit of pressure on the nearby lean hog futures, but nothing too serious there. Uh, again, I think we're just going through some end-of-the-year uh, uh, positioning, and and they're looking for strength from the from the uh, cash market to help support the lean hogs. New contract high in February live cattle here already this morning. We opened just slightly higher. We're trading near session highs. Tell you what, if we can hold on to this and close it above 158, that market's uh, got a chance to be stronger into the end of the the last day of the year. Chip Flory for Markets Now. Opinions expressed on AgriTalk do not necessarily reflect the views of Farm Journal Broadcasting, affiliate stations, or sponsors. In the morning, you're coffeeed up and you're thinking. In the afternoon, you've calmed down, but you're still thinking. We're here all day. AgriTalk. All right. Welcome oh. back to AgriTalk. <laughs> that that faded in a hurry, didn't it? It was rather it? abrupt. Yeah, was it me? me. No, it's huh? computer. Okay. computer wants to do it that way. Computers. Oh, gotcha. You know, gotcha. they say in the future, like yeah. computers will run like everything. Right. I don't know right. if they'll catch on or not. Ah. Uh. <laughs> we'll see. <laughs> Only if we can do a good enough job of programming them to take over at some point. Ouch. Yeah. Ouch. Yeah. Right. <laughs> right. All right. Uh, great conversation there with Phil Flynn. Here's another guy that we have relied on heavily here in the last oh, three or four months trying to keep us up to speed on what's going on with things like the rail labor negotiations, uh, different issues around the world uh, when it comes to moving product. It's Ken Erickson, Senior VP of Energy and Transportation and Policy at S&P Global Commodity Insights. Ken, Happy New Year, my friend. How are you? Great and Happy New Year to you and the audience. What a great New Year we're coming into. Things like seems like things are starting to thaw out in some places here. Okay. Well, I'm going to go with that. And how are things on the river? Uh, And it's it's typically a slow time of the year. I get that. But there's still usually activity on the river. What's going on? There is usually activity on the river. It is slow time of year, especially for grains and some northbound fertilizer moves. But uh, especially going through St. Louis, you're seeing a river gauge that's been falling and you've had persistent uh, slow or low uh, snowpack all year off the Missouri River. And that's really impacting the St. Louis area. And you're already you do continue to have um, low water warnings and limited how much volume you can load onto uh, barges. So that's restricting uh, what you're seeing on the lower Mississippi. River is that you did see some improvement here, here in Memphis where we're located. You're looking at about a 10 foot change uh, of improved water levels. Oh. That's from a record low of 10 minus 10 feet, but we're still falling, and it looks like we're going to continue to fall. And when you have ice and unlimited uh, runoff, it just gets uh, backed up, or you just don't get as much water. And so you're still going to have be be behind the eight ball as we go forward here. But, you know, to say the least, we've seen barge freight rates that have finally cracked below a thousand percent of tariff from all locations. 
And that's really remarkable because we've been at that level above a thousand percent, if not higher from most locations for several months. Right. And it's not just around the low water. It's also around the structure of the industry. We don't have as big of a fleet. We're not building new equipment. It's too expensive. Yeah. Don't have as many builders. And you still have a lot of commodities that want to move. And when you get disrupted, it's hard to catch up overnight because you. I'm going to say this. I've said this before and I keep, keep, keep saying it, you can't levitate barges or trains. And it's just hard yeah. to try to move something. It goes as fast as four miles per hour to get caught up on the system. And when you're so spread out with um, labor issues and challenges, it just creates a, a backup in the system here as yeah. we go forward. Yep. Yeah. Well, in the investment side of things, it's, it, it puts the whole country in danger. I was talking about that with Phil Flynn in the last segment, Ken, uh, when we were talking about the electricity grid. Where's the investment happening there? You know, they talk about the green energy and, and, and so on. It's still electricity and it still has to move. And we're not doing anything to improve the capabilities of moving electricity. Now, it, where does the investment come from in, in the barge system? I mean, is is the investment being made in better operations at low water levels or are we just waiting for rain? At this point, the Army Corps Engineers has done, you know, doing all they can to maintain a minimum draft, nine feet where they can, and the maximum or minimum width of the river system for a, a shipping uh, channel. And it just is at some point, you can't dredge enough. And But right now yeah. you've got water back and they're cleaning it out. But you are seeing some investment. You're, you're going to get on the upper, on the Illinois waterway this yeah. coming summer and in June through next October, it's going to be shut down, but that's for major rehab. And that's through a lot of work with the industry. So you're seeing some reinvestment in the system here. When you get these extremes, low water, high water, man, those are just hard to manage. And, and they do their best they can as an industry. But if you're talking on the floating asset side of things, these companies uh, really got hit by a lot of high costs and a lot yeah. of challenges. And they've lost some volumes that have moved on the river as a result of higher costs. So to try to reinvest in the sector, now maybe you're going to have better steel pricing going forward here and that could open up some investment, but you only have one major barge builder and you also have a, a smaller one that can crank out barges, but it's not like we used to see in the past. So both on the physical assets or infrastructure, the Army Corps is making improvements, uh, but we got a long ways to go. And you're yeah. also seeing this barge companies trying to make that investment, but it's tough. It's, it's very expensive uh, to make those investments. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Absolutely it is. We need to give them the incentive to get it done and make those investments. Okay. Any sign of – yeah, this is going to assume that there's a problem. I'm not going to assume that there's a problem. And and I'll just ask, what's the situation on the rails? <laughs> Good question. I like the way you phrase that, uh, Chip. Uh, look, the railroad situation, they, they got things done early December. Uh, with the, the White House and the Congress coming through and getting them, ordering the railroads, the unions to go back to work and for both sides to accept the agreements that were in place from the president, presidential board. And they've gone back to work. One thing about workers in this country, if they got a contract, they're going to go back to work. And you're seeing that now. Yeah. You're coming yeah. into the holidays here. You had Christmas slowdowns with the, the rail networks and shipping. And then you also had this weather. And it, as much as we've been hearing across every channel about Southwest Airlines, 
the railroads, you just can't go and pull trains out fast enough when they get stuck. And that's very, very true in the Eastern railroads. Think about Buffalo. And they've had to try to avoid that area for equipment that's stuck there. You just jam up the system and you're seeing the speeds that are really slow in the, in the East and the dwell times are very high in the East. Out in West, you've seen some very good movement improvements. Now, when you had the Surface Transportation Board had a hearing uh, uh, just before Christmas, you heard from the shippers, they were not happy. And there's going to be some changes coming from there. And the railroad industry is going to try to step up and play nice and, uh, you know, do their for, uh, ask for forgiveness or I'm sorry tours, get through those and try to make those improvements because uh, gotcha. they got a long ways to go. Gotcha. Gotcha. Okay. What about West Coast labor negotiations? Yeah, there's still the West Coast Labor International Longshore Warehouse Union and the Pacific Maritime Association continue to negotiate. Uh, it's been fairly quiet. And, you know, there was this concern that they're in the middle of their negotiations, along with the railroads, uh, that they're going to be um, uh, working together. And and so you've, you took care of the railroad situation. And I think the West Coast Labor situation, they're probably looking at, hey, we got to make sure we go and play this well, because uh, we could see some pressure on the union side of things if uh, this changes. So those continue to move forward. But you, what you've done, you've seen equipment, uh, vessels bypass the West Coast and move to the East Coast in the center golf especially in containers and they've really gained some market share away from the west coast and that's going to be you know one thing about that sort of move they get used to it and they find hey we can make it work and you're going to find that the east coast and gulf coast are gaining market share as a part of this gotcha gotcha okay let's go over to the black sea are those those boats hauling grain out of out of ukraine uh are they going to be able to get insurance not all of them will. And you got this um, war risk premium insurance with the underwriters yeah. uh, that are saying, look, at, come January 1, we're not going to be insuring because it's just too risky. The cost is too high. We're losing money. And in an environment where you're seeing a global economy that's slowing down, you're not seeing as much cargo moving on these vessels and people are going to try to forego costs somehow. Uh, the insurers are saying, look, we got to back out of this. It's just too risky for us. And with the amount of uh, concern in the economy, we got to do something. Now, does that mean that grain won't move? No, there's going to find a way. And it may be with the assurance of a grain corridor that's in place, they could try to move cargo and we're still seeing it, or they got cross-border movements you're seeing by rail and truck that continues to do well. Uh, the flip side of it is from Russia, uh, they weren't playing nice anyways. In other countries, they don't always adhere to the same rules because they're desperate for food and for the commodities that uh, is available from the Black Sea. So there may be other mechanisms in place because if you take away that war risk premium, you got to attract other vessels into that market or the vessels that were there. And so that's going to be a challenge as we go forward. We still anticipate cargoes to continue to move out of the Black Sea. Uh, it's just going to be a different cost structure or a different insurance or a different risk profile that people have to assume. And you're not going to get the big operators going in there because they can't afford that risk to lose those yeah. assets. And quite frankly, the lives are more importantly in this process. Right, right. And the reason that I think we need to talk about this right now is because some of the reinsurers are giving notice right now that they're that, that they're out of that market, right? That's right. And you look at what's going on with the price of wheat. The U.S. is not far from being that competitive with Russia. Russia continues to be the most competitive yeah. in the world. But the United States is gaining some ground on that. You take away these risk premiums. Um, now the price of grain may have to fall because you're gonna have a backup if you're not gonna be able to load vessels, but who's gonna t- put a vessel in there except for some smaller vessels or Russian owned Russian flag vessels that maybe they'll get past that and be able to find a way around it. And that that's gonna be the flip side of it. How does, somehow there's gonna always be some 
way to uh, you get bypass the system or these insurances and and be able to get commodities moved out of the Black Sea. But it's not going to be as easy it was before because these um, uh, underwriters, reinsurers, are not going to take this risk. It's just too expensive for them. Okay. Okay. Excellent, Ken. This might be unfair asking with just a minute to go. Is there going to be any relaxation of the Jones Act in the in the year ahead? I just don't see that from the standpoint of national security and to try to preserve that. I think what we're seeing globally, this may even embolden to have this Jones Act better in place. They really? may try to find some ways to bypass some things. But, Chip, I think the industry is going to stand firm. This administration will try to stand firm to try to protect those jobs, those vessels, what are left in the fleet, and, and to try to incentivize them. Uh, it's just it's just too risky today. But there's going to continue to be that discussion every year to talk about what do we got to do on the Jones Act because we need to have some relief to move commodities in and around the United States here. Yeah. yeah. Well, it, it, with that being the case, and I think you're right on that, Ken. I'm, I'm not saying that we, we don't need some relief. I, I've believed that for a long time. But, boy, I sure hope we get some water back in the Mississippi and, and, and the other inland waterways so that we can move product around or things are going to get really, really tough. And, Ken, and to assure, and assure the global market that this is still a viable and reliable market to come to, and we still are there you in the go. United States. Exactly. Ken, Happy New Year, my friend. Thank you. Happy New Year. From powering irrigation engines to warming buildings, propane has always been a part of American farm life. Now you can be a part of propane's future and save money at the same time. The Propane Farm Incentive Program is a research initiative that provides farmers up to $5,000 towards the purchase of new propane-powered equipment. In exchange, participants share performance data to make tomorrow's ag operations more cost-effective, more efficient, and more environmentally friendly with propane. Getting started is simple. Visit propane.com slash farm incentive to see if you're eligible. To produce higher yields and greater value at harvest, timing is everything. Full Scale from Helena helps soybeans reach their full potential with breakthrough foliar nutrition and reproduction. Full Scale delivers beneficial plant extracts and micronutrients with the added efficiency of ENC formulation technology. It gives your soybeans every opportunity to grow strong returns this season. Contact your local ag retailer or Helena representative to learn more about Full Scale. Always read and follow label instructions and check registration status before use. You're listening to AgriTalk, where the conversation begins. Join us at 855-4-TALK-AG. Welcome back to AgriTalk. I'm Chip. Glad that you are with us on this Thursday morning. Davis Michelson, the editor Hello. of Landowner at uh, ProFarmer, is also with us. And Paul Shadeg, yeah. Senior VP of, Retail, of Real Estate Operations at Farmers National Company, joins us right now. Paul, it's good to talk with you again. How are you? Hey, I'm doing well. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Um, okay. Very simple question. What are you learning from the real estate market here in the last quarter of the year? Well, you know, uh, that that momentum that uh, we saw early in, in 2022 certainly continued right up to year end for us. Uh, we had strong demand uh, throughout all the regions that we cover, um, you know, driven by uh, buyers in, in those uh, pools at our, our, at our auctions. 
And, uh, you know, the, the final results, a lot of people have seen, you know, the Iowa land report that came out and, and the Fed Reserve uh, report that came out. Um, we're seeing the same thing within our company, similar results with, uh, you know, 17 to 20 percent up year over year in most areas. And, you know, we were a little concerned about what would happen as we move into 2023. But, you know, our auction calendar is filling up for the the month of, of January and February, there's still pretty good demand. It's it's not quite as strong as where it was uh, a year ago, but but still some pretty good momentum in the market. Paul, you talk about that demand uh, not quite as strong as what it once was. Uh, from my perspective, I'm not seeing the sort of aberrational eye popper sales. You know, the the per acre prices. Uh, is the market perhaps just sort of taking a pause here, thinking 26, 27, that's an awful lot to pay for an acre of farm ground, or are we maybe looking at a reversal of fortunes? Yeah, I, I think you're right. I think there's just some some people that are really, when they get to that point, they're kind of stepping back and saying, yeah, you know, the the factors that are driving this market are still there. The commodity markets, there's still a lot of demand at at these sales but I think it's some people are saying, wow, that's that's really a lot to pay for this piece of ground, even though it may adjoin me, even though I might have the cash in, in my pocket. There's there's uh, causes for concern with higher interest rates, um, inflation and what their inputs are going to cost going into 2023. And I indicated that um, at, in an article I wrote uh, here not too long ago that my thought was that we're going to start to see less and less of those uh, those eye popping sales, okay. and uh, you know, about the time I say that, another one pops up. <laughs> of course, of course. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, Paul, I want to say that I think we've got a pretty good idea of where the the hot spots are right now. Are there any soft spots around the country when it comes to the land market? You know, there's um, there's classes of land more so than okay. areas of country, and okay. there are we, we're finding that um, some of those lower <clears throat> lower uh, soil quality parcels, maybe some that have some drainage or erosion issues, things like that. Though those are really um, the ones that are taking the hit right now, and and the reason that I, I classify it that way is that we've had auctions out in Western Kansas, uh, Eastern Colorado and Western Nebraska, some of those areas that have been hit hard by drought and, yeah. uh, you know, and characteristically have lower soil qualities and tougher environments to grow crops in. And we're still seeing some really strong sales in those areas. Granted, they're not the record setting sales that you see in Illinois, Indiana and Iowa, but there's still very strong sale prices for for those areas. So there's, uh, yeah, I'm still surprised by that. Yep. Well, that's probably has something to do with the basis that those guys are getting on that corn crop and what the feed yards out west are willing to pay for corn. So um, that that's a that's an interesting take right there. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah, there's there's definitely validity in that. I talked to a, an operator just uh, a little over a week ago that was telling me about his eight and eight dollar and fifty cent corn that he's delivering yeah. to the field. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. What you you've already made the case that demand is has stayed strong. What about availability? Is there any more ground, more or less ground moving to the market? You know the 
the supply side of that supply demand scenario is still tight. Um, there is there are definitely people considering to take the opportunity, you know, landowners that are taking the opportunity to sell at some pretty good market levels. But there's an equal amount that are saying, yeah, you know, my my farm might be worth a lot more than it was a couple of years ago, but it's a good investment for me, good hedge against inflation for some some of those investors. And I my anticipation is that the supply is going to remain limited and that's going to that's going to help hold the uh, the value. Paul, I'm not hearing much about panic sales. It seems like uh, these these yeah. sellers are, are pretty willing participants. Yeah, they're they're definitely calculated sellers. There's uh, very little um, distress in the market at all. Um, when they make the decision to sell, it's it's a strategic. Uh, yeah. Let's take advantage of the of the market. Yeah. Well, and it seems like most uh, most operations that that do have a debt load have even with the climbing interest rates, they've got the ability to manage that debt load. They haven't gotten in too deep, have they? In most cases, in in most cases, you're correct. Um, even talking with uh, bankers and you know the some of the farm credit systems, there there's still a lot of pretty good equity. They have concern yeah. that they're eroding through some of that equity yeah. um, if things continue. But uh, but yeah, they're what we like to say is that that land is in some strong hands. Yeah, yeah, no doubt about it. And, it, and when it makes a transfer. It goes to even stronger hands in most cases is what it feels like. And, and uh, they've got more than one plan for some of that ground in, in, in cases. So it's it's an interesting market, Paul. We're going to need you to keep us up to speed on what's going on in it in the year ahead. Uh, thank you for coming on. Happy New Year. Yep. Happy New Year to you guys and uh, happy to do it anytime. Excellent. Thank you, sir. That's Paul Shadag, Senior VP of Real Estate Operations at Farmers National Company. Wow. Um, I'm going to take the next hour and go back and listen to that show because there's a lot of information in there that I think we need uh, to digest before we get back uh, this afternoon. Clark Neighbors, BIS Commodities, our guest this afternoon right here on Agritalk.